0: Hi everyone, my name is Alexander Gideon. I am the Long Beach Opera Minister of Culture, and this is the very first episode of Towards a New Opera. This is gonna be a 21 part series in which we, uh, through interviews and discussions and case studies, we're gonna look at some of the cultural questions that surround making opera in 2021, Uh, so I'm sure it's going to be a totally smooth ride. Uh, No trouble is going to be made. I'm certainly not going to cause any trouble, Uh, but um, I'm looking forward to this. I've wanted to make a podcast about opera for a really long time, and um, let's just dive right in to the questions, the questions. Um, An article came out this morning um, that I was excited to see says, black artists, okay, this is San Francisco Classical Voice. Black artists claim a seat at the table at Long Beach Opera and L.A. Opera. Ooh. And it goes on to uh, announce my uh, position as Minister of Culture <laughs> at Long Beach Opera. Yes. And also, tenor Russell Thomas introduced as artist-in-residence, um, who's going to be taking a huge part in, in, in quote, uh, artistic planning, casting, repertory planning, and more. Congratulations to Russell Thomas uh, with his beautiful photograph here uh, uh, at the top. Oh, how perfect, there's, there's police sirens coming by. Um, we're not gonna edit that out. Um, so it says in the article, looking in the mirror over the past year, arts organizations have been asking how they can better serve communities of color and artists and musicians of color themselves have been giving an answer advocating for representation at the management and decision-making level of arts organizations not tokenism but power and responsibility so first of all I have to say that it is um, surreal to see myself in this uh, sort of context or situation as like, you know, it's, it's just weird. I'm not used to seeing myself in the press. So I'm, I'm processing that. And, um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know that this is hopefully happening everywhere because it's something that, I, you know, I've certainly um, been in several positions in, in, in the opera world where I'm the only person of color on a production team, um, the director design team. It's happened a few times. Um, and I've been acutely aware of it. And, um, and I don't think it's a great thing. Um, I think it's great that I'm there. Um, but um, sometimes I, 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 I do find myself wishing that I wasn't the only one. And um, and you know, obviously, like this is something that like my parents are like super proud about. Like, my father has already shared this on Facebook three times, like since the announcement, like just diff- just the same thing basically three times. And um, so you know, he's my father. Um, immigrated from Jamaica uh, with his sisters Jean and Avril in 1953, um, and uh, so you know, like, it's like grandpa would be proud and that kind of stuff. And that's like, that is that's that is beautiful. Um, and dad has, doesn't even know that there's an article that says black artists claim a seat at the table. I mean, that's gonna, this is gonna be on Facebook tomorrow probably. Um, but, um, you know, there's a lot to, 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 to me taking this position of minister of culture, what's that? at Long Beach Opera, um, there's, there's a lot of dimension to it. And the fact that I am black is one of the layers and it is obviously a, uh, a very important moment uh, that we're you know, increasing our awareness of other people's identities and how that affects the work that we're making. Um, and it's also, you know, I mean, it's Black History Month and so, I'm, I'm, let's just centralize that first. Um, we're gonna talk about my blackness first. Now, if you're listening to this program, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret, okay? Your friend, Alex Gideon, who you're getting to know through your ear right now, is actually very, very fair-skinned. As a matter of fact, there are plenty of times that um, People don't immediately recognize me as black, even though the, the person that I get told I look like the most is Prince, praise Jesus. Um, if I shave my head and uh, shave my beard and mustache, the person I told that I get looked like the most is Vin Diesel, who is also biracial. So I just, I, I'm, let's just say I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna try to keep my hair for as long as I can and uh, I'm not gonna shave. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have, um, I've been mistaken for Arabic, Jewish, Italian, Puerto Rican, uh, there's more. I can't remember them right now, but it's been, it's been impressive. Um, back in my days as a youth, I had an agent look at me across the table, you know, and I was acting and he said, you know, you got kind of a, pan-ethnic vibe um yeah so that's that is that is me i am a i'm a super light-skinned dude and i want to talk about my blackness in relation to this position and what this means Um, because you know i've been thinking a lot about my racial identity and, and what it means uh that that i'm doing that i'm making opera over the past couple of years and um I thought of this thing that happened this summer in the wake of George Floyd uh, and the even more insidious um, Amy Cooper incident. Um, I, um, you know, there was this post that was going around on Facebook. A lot of my black friends were posting this. actually it was like this copy pasta thing that said like I am black I am and it listed all these really positive values you know I'm a member of my community I use I do this I'm you know and that and then it said you know if I tagged you copy this paste it and tag three other black men or black women and um, the composer that I'm working with Daryl Grant uh, tagged me in this and I stalled on it. I stalled because saying I'm a black man, full stop, during this summer didn't sit quite right with me. I said, I, I said to myself, I, I need to say more. So I wrote something. But I didn't post it because I felt like it actually it spoke a truth about my racial identity that I was like, "I can't put this on facebook this is this is um this is too this is too much this is um this is not the right space um, but I'm gonna share it now, right I'm gonna share it now because now my blackness is being talked about in a public sphere, and so. Uh, I just want to say before I share this little piece that I wrote, um, I use the phrase Passover. Um, Passover is an old-time phrase in, um, like in the in the '30s and maybe you know even before that, where black people who were super duper light-skinned would one day just up and disappear and um, you know if it was you know I'd straighten my hair or something and then like go to a new town and live my life as a white person because obviously it was gonna be better quality of living so that's what Passover means okay so now I'm gonna share this thing that I wrote I am black I am the black that in another time would try to pass over would one day up and disappear from my family and friends to start over in a new city with new opportunities as something else. I am the black that was called high yellow once upon a time, mulatto once upon another. I am the black that you told racist jokes to without knowing that I was black. I am the black that was told by my aunties, you know you're black, don't you? When I. I didn't know why I was being asked this with such blazing directness and and wouldn't understand for decades why it was important to make a choice to fill in the black box without qualifiers. I am the black that can choose, that doesn't get pulled over unless I'm actually speeding. I am the black that worries what will happen to my cousins, to my uncles, to my fathers when they are pulled over for not speeding, who perspires under his arm as he types, who is more nauseous than relieved that I am in less danger. I am the black that was often chosen because my blackness was palatable. I received the benefit of privilege and the bounty of culture in the same breath i'm the black that learned last year this is a word that is capitalized because it's a pronoun it was created as a classification in a specific time and place in america to manage capital p property i am the black that would have been property if i didn't escape but almost certainly would have been in the house making the beds doing the dishes shit, probably reading to the kids and performing the characters in the storybooks with funny voices I am the black that is terrified, who writes courageously, but lurks in the shadows, feeling that I need to read more, to write more, to find more, to create more, to be of use. I am the black that needs to identify as black because it isn't about color, but it is about color. We are all one, but we are not all one. I am the black writing that I am black, not because I feel I need to be accepted or understood, nor do I expect you to accept or understand, but because in the words of Immanuel Kant, I need to find the truth that is true for me, a truth I can live and die for. I am the black that writes Black Lives Matter and is sickened that my black life has been allowed to matter more because of actual random genetic chance. Ah <sighs> well, here we are. I've um I've never shared I've always felt that race was chaotic. Um, I think as a biracial person, the number of contradictions that you experience leads you to to believe that it's chaotic, and it makes me nervous. Um, It makes me nervous projecting myself like that in front of black people. It makes me nervous projecting myself like that in front of white people. And with all this fear in the air, I thought, who better to be the Minister of Culture (laughs) than a completely racially confused, uh, avant-garde opera-loving miscreant. So I wanted to set the tone with that, because um, I am thrilled to be a part of this. And this is exactly why I wanted to be in this position is because I wanted to talk about things like the nuances of biracial privilege and that it means something, you know, that this is, um, that, it's, that it's different. Um, and I'm, again, I congratulate Russell Thomas. I'm thrilled to be in such esteemed company. Uh, the, I, I know that we're going to transform opera in the 2020s. I can, I can, I can feel it. I can feel it um, and you're here now with me and uh, you're gonna be a part of it too and that's, that's, why we're, that's why we're doing this. That's why I was interested in having this space uh, was because I wanted to have a dialogue. I wanted to have a dialogue with culture which is why I hope that you will take this on on the YouTube platform because of that comment section. I'm really excited to see what happens when we start talking uh, and sharing our thoughts, right? because look these talkbacks that have been happening during the pandemic, where black singers are dishing it on like what it really means to be operating in this in this you know very 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 white world eh, that 's a lot more interesting than a lot of the operas i 've seen i 'll tell you that for sure and that 's part of a bigger pattern a pattern that i 've noticed right is that the talkbacks backs at a lot of these operas that I've seen over the past few years are more interesting than the actual opera. And that says a couple of things to me. It says that our whys and the reasons that are motivating the work that we're making are really strong, but we haven't quite figured out what we're doing yet. And which is cool that, we're, that, that, that we are shut down and we are, it's not cool that people are out of work, um, but, It's cool that we can have this collective gut check in this moment. And um, these questions that are terrifying, you know, somebody, I remember somebody once asked the Coen brothers, I was listening on NPR, they asked the Coen brothers, what what do you, um, how do you figure out what your next project's gonna be? What's the next movie you're gonna make? And they said, um, we just stop and ask ourselves what terrifies us the most? And I was asking myself that over the last couple of years, and I said, you know, it's, it's everything that I don't understand about what's going on in race right now. And um, I, that, that was uh, three years ago, two years ago, where I had been actually teaching myself German for a couple of years because I was like, I'm gonna be an opera director. By the time I'm 53, I will be able to speak a little of all four you know, major operatic languages. I'm gonna be that dude. But um, I was eventually starting to recognize that "Mm, I think actually I need to be paying attention to what's going on in American culture right now. I don't need to be um, bowing my head before the sort of cultural hierarchy of opera as this um, intellectually supreme art form, you know. Um, I need to look at the ground that I'm already standing on and ask what's, where's the work going to come from? Um, what's what's going to happen next out of what I could feel was this um, pot that's starting to boil over? And so this started, this whole idea of me being the Minister of Culture, started um, a few months ago when the executive director of Long Beach Opera, Jenny Rivera, hi Jenny. Um, she offered me to join the staff of LBO and she said it, that this can be two things. Um, you can essentially be a director in residence, and you I also you know want you to help be a part of strategizing how we diversify our directing and uh, design teams and um, our creative projects moving forward because there's been a conspicuous absence of non-white people in those positions. Including, I mean, yeah, I mean, including this coming season as well, which is why she saw that on the horizon. She said, let's start working on this. And um, she said, you know, you can pick your title, but I would recommend resident director or director in residence. And I was uh, like really blown. I was, I was blown away, first of all, like I, um, she said, you know, this could be, you could use this to really incubate your career. And this felt like real ally talk. And I got very excited because Long Beach Opera, I felt like the community engagement there has always been outstanding, like, always felt very embedded in the community at Long Beach. And, um, and the folks that are working there right now, like Dr. Durell Akon's Community Conversations, um, really blew me away and had me super inspired. Talkbacks I've seen there have had me super inspired. Um, and Yuval Sharon as the Interim Artistic Director, to me was like, this place, kinda has everything that I want in the world right now. And I personally don't know another place that I'd rather be working. So I was pretty thrilled um, at this prospect. And um, you know, also to, to, that, 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 that Jenny was asking me about helping strategize um, with this, this question of diversity. I got excited because um, you know I said gosh you know that to me is almost as exciting as actually making the work because uh, those two things are really come out of the same impulse for me. Um, Which is that I really um, get excited about how people encounter music in a public space and that's why I wanted to play in bands and that's why I want to uh, direct opera. I'm a person who like You know, I got into uh, classical music um, just as a listener, really, Uh, when I was about 12 or 13. By the time I was a teenager, I would be racing around the streets of L.A., you know, listening to, like, the Rite of Spring, blasting from my car stereo, smoking cigarettes, you know, going 69 miles an hour, like, just right below 70, Um, and um, that that music just spoke to me. I mean, I love a lot of experimental avant-garde stuff, but mostly, like, I mean, the early 20th century was where I always kind of just felt like uh, the most, I don't know, it resonated with me. And uh, flash forward to being um, my first year of college at, uh, no, not my first year, but I did a semester at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and um, there... I went to the Royal Albert Hall to see Sir Colin Davis conduct The Rite of Spring. I brought my friends. I was like, "Hey, the tickets are like 5 pounds." First of all, the tickets were 5 pounds, which you you know, there's no that's that's Europe. So, we're in the nosebleeds and I've hyped this up to my friends like, "Wow, you're going to get blown you're going to get blown away. Like this piece caused a riot. This caused a riot, you know?" And um it starts, and it's like one of the most underwhelming performing arts experiences I've ever had. It was such a bummer. I, would felt, I felt trapped. And not only that, it was empty. Like, it, it was mostly empty, and it's like, why do you have us sitting all the way up here? It's fucking empty in here, and we're losing an opportunity to like, I'm trying to hit these people to this stuff, and uh, here we are, like, trying to uh, acculturate and you're failing and uh, so i just was always you know wanted to bring a more embodied kinesthetic vibration to that encounter so that like people can get into things that maybe they don't necessarily understand right away which is to me the thing that's the most exciting right that's like the opposite of pop music where it's like I get it and it's infectious right away. It's different when you encounter something that you, you you don't get it the first time, but the third time and the fourth time and then the fifth time, and then there's like a deeper relationship that you can have with it. And so I wanted to be, I've always wanted to be a part of forging those deeper relationships. Now, as I experienced classical music As an audience member as somebody who was just into it I was frequently going into spaces uh, where I was the only person of color and still to this day in recent history um, I've had the experience of going to premieres of new operas in Brooklyn uh, and in downtown LA and there's 250 300 people in a room and I'm the only Discernible person of color in the space, and um, you know uh, that's yeah. I I I've wondered about that for 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 a while. It actually really turned me off to it, and I was like, well, I don't I don't I don't want to do this because I want to. I wanna do something where I can know how it's landing a little bit more. I, I, I just had an instinct. It wasn't that I rejected the audiences, it was just an instinct that like, as soon as I started playing in bands in lower New York right across the street from wherever I was watching, you know, Philip Glass, the crowds were suddenly diverse. And I could have space to make my work and have that dialogue with culture that I was craving. you know. And, um, and so I, I did and I had two bands and both of them had record de- deals, um, demo deals and like both of the labels that I was signed to no longer exist because the record industry has collapsed. And um, you know, that's a really, really, really tough hustle. And as I rounded the corner to 30, I said, that's, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna do that um, and um, didn't know what I was gonna do for a little while and um, then had some actually come some kind of mystic experiences that led me back into feeling like this omen like I needed to go into opera and then as I did I discovered that I was in those white spaces again, and I honestly, around 2015, 2016, um, started to feel like I, the deeper I got into opera, the opera world, the more that I saw, I, I felt like I actually was understanding what whiteness was for the first time, and that's a crazy thing to say. But um, I think a lot of people have just started to understand what whiteness is so but this time around I didn't I was like you know what I'm gonna stick around Um, because uh, because there's something about this work that is exciting to me the opera scene that has been happening in LA over the past 10 years has been very engaging I felt so like I was like there's something happening here there's a lot of innovation um happening here, and there's a little scene and i'm a and i'm a classical dork, so like this is kind of my tribe um, however, then I would you know as I started to work in these fields, I also felt like this is my tribe, and it's not my tribe i'm a no man's tribe a little bit right so'm I'm, I'm, I feel like i'm Perpetually kind of always standing at the crossroads of these things, but I'm always wanting to like pull people into different directions and change things i've like I have this instinct to want to destabilize environments um, and um and that's what I guess that's just what excites me and so to to bring this all back full circle right like there, there, are no, there have not been people of color in those audiences for a few reasons, right? Number one is the tickets are expensive. Like when I started researching opera and saying, okay, I'm gonna get into this so I'm buying opera subscriptions to like I'm, I'm buying season passes to LA Opera, to Long Beach Opera and, and studying and reading. Um, You know, I was a bartender and I was putting that on a credit card, like, you know, leap in the net will appear kind of shit. And um, I did have my auntie Jean did buy me two seasons of tickets at LA Opera. She bought me two subscriptions, shout out to auntie Jean, Jamaican women, buying opera subscriptions for nephews. Thank you very much. This is, here we are. Um, but yeah, I, so I've been kind of, uh, (laughs) enjoying this in my own little POC bubble the whole time, except for the performers, right? The singers, I've met a lot of black singers and that's great. And then I can have that connection and I can have little microspheres of black spaces with black people, but not when it's getting created a lot of the times. And that's uh, that's obviously something that, you know, look, a lot of people see this. A lot of the white people that I have been working with are, are critically, like, aware of this and have been trying to start to shift and create new models uh, for doing this. Um, another issue of why this is all so culturally, like in this, like opera's in this white feedback loop, is it's not only the audiences, it's not only um, the, you know, a lot of the creative teams, the production teams, that's obviously shifting, but by and large, right? Very, very white. Then when it comes out, the reviews are also white and I love, um, like, you know, Mark Swede and Alex Ross. And I've learned a lot from these white men. Um, I really have uh, over the years. Um, gone to see Alex Ross speak at different places, you know, um, but uh, it's it means that from the whole food chain from beginning to end, it's all the cultural implications are all teased out through this white matrix. So if somebody who's like me, who's a person of color who's into avant-garde work that's like pushing the boundaries, there's no space. All of my p- p- like black friends in LA, I'm got, I, I have to like debrief them on everything from the beginning They're not aware that there's a scene. And these are artists that are doing shit, right? Like, so that's part of why I wanted to be in this space, because I just see connections in the city, number one, that are kind of just not being made. And I'd like to experiment in a virtual space with like finding these intersections and this crosstalk. And um, part of the reason why uh, a lot of the guests that I'm gonna have on are not opera performers, They're not, they don't work in the field of opera. It's because they're people who I feel are contributors, potential contributors to the new opera culture that I'm advocating that we grow. People who have operatic ideas. And for all intents and purposes, American opera in 2021 is a concept that should be totally up for grabs right now. Um, I, I would l- if you have a definition, you think you have the definition of opera right now, please write it in the comments. I've got some working ones, um, but it's, it's, it seems like it's constantly shifting. Yet opera conjures and elicits this muse energy, when you throw that word out, you know? And part of it's the cultural esteem, but part of it I think is like, people think about like this cultural zenith, right? Now we've been thinking about that cultural zenith as an extension of the Eurocentric cultural hierarchy, right? Which, if we keep propagating that, that is make America great again, essentially. But if we think about a cultural zenith meeting us where we actually are, if um, we think of a cultural zenith that meets us with intersectionality, um, that acknowledges that um, the levers of power are uh, affecting different people in different places of different races, and different genders in different ways at different times and that when we're creating operas we're creating spaces where not only work is being shown but people are being given access into a space and are people, are people actually welcome? Are we ready to let go of the cultural superiority? like? Do we need to be dominant? That's my question, is, 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 is opera ready to recognize that classical music is not a cultural, su- culturally superior art form? We're gonna have to let that go. I mean, when I tell somebody that I'm an opera director, people are impressed, even if they've never heard one. So it cuts both ways. They haven't heard one because they don't have any cultural access. And they're impressed because they don't have cultural access. And so there's a lot, obviously like a whole host of questions that surround this. And it scares me because not only me projecting my identity inside of this, but opera? I'm I'm terrified I'm just going to say something stupid, right? Like I'm I'm always uh, if you work in opera culture, you know this. Like it people pretend like they know every fucking thing. And it's bullshit. Uh in the theater world you it's a virtue to not know. You you almost have a stigma if you come into a rehearsal room and you think you have the whole thing figured out. Uh you People kind of know that you're full of shit. But um, we are... I don't know what's going on with with opera in that, that we're not allowed to know. Because I think that that, that vibration of putting out that you better know the right answer, that's why when people of color start drifting towards the opera world, they get more conservative. Because they're playing it more safe. And that's not going to work either. So... I'm here because, you know, I have a lot of impulses and instincts, I have values that I want to share, and I want to refine my thoughts in public with you. Um, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of growing this new opera culture. Even if you don't know anything about opera, I want you to get in the car and take this ride Um, because it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a treasure trove of rabbit holes um, that you can fall into. I'm going to every artist, everything that gets mentioned, I'm going to put in the description of the episode so that you can ask these questions and you can make more connections and we can start to build this thing together because it doesn't exist. It's not American opera yet because it doesn't look like America. It's not LA opera because it doesn't look like LA. And if you know what LA really looks like, then you have a better idea than a lot of these motherfuckers that are making this stuff right now. Um, so that's what we're gonna do. And again, I have to, I have to take a minute to acknowledge again, like the hugeness of being in this space, having this completely crazy conversation um, on the Long Beach Opera webpage. Um, and the, I'm, I can't believe the level of artists that I'm gonna have engaged in these conversations with me. I get chills honestly just thinking about it. Um, the people that are gonna be on the show. Next week, uh, next episode is gonna be Carmina Escobar one of my favorite LA performers um, who makes incredible work and studiously refuses to use the word opera in any description of anything that they do. And uh, that's exactly where I wanna start, right? Is that people are making operatic work, work that's large scale, that's moving, that's transcending definitions, and opera culture has a stigma on it and uh if we want to reshape reshape refine how this is going to develop we got to we have to start asking these questions i think um together well at least i would like to because um i'm i'm here for it and i'm here for I'm here for the chaos. I just think it's fascinating. So, um, I look forward to um, this time ahead. I'm really excited about, I think, where things can go. Uh, I look forward to making work with you. Uh, I look forward to making work for you. I look forward to watching your work in the 2020s and I thank you for joining me in this conversation, Minister of Culture, Long Beach Opera, towards a new one.